Welcome to Strength for the Journey from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau. Today, we take on one of the more mysterious episodes in the Bible, the Transfiguration. What does it mean for us today? Our scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 10. Here's First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun with the sermon. There is a great I Am a Bright Kid Foundation production of the musical The Wiz at Paliku Theater in Kaneohe till October 7. Our, our own Mary Hicks is directing, and many of our members and friends are part of the cast, so kudos um, to the sponsoring Bright family who is part of our church family. I highly recommend seeing it. Uh, great for all ages, Friday and Saturday, have some seats open. The Wiz is a takeoff on the famous Wizard of Oz story by Frank L. Baum. As I usually do when I watch movies and musicals, I was thinking about Jesus because I'm so spiritual and pondering about how at one time or, or another we are all like frail scarecrows who wish we could be wise enough to figure out life better or like cowardly lions that lack the courage, or like frozen tin men who have no hearts. I was thinking of how the church uh, should be a place where scarecrows can find wisdom, and cowardly lions can find courage, and tin men can find true compassion for others, and Dorothy's who could find loving homes. In that sense, the church should be a good and healthy emerald city, a light on the hill where people find wisdom and courage, a a heart for others, and a real home that feels like family. The emerald city, whether in the Wiz or uh, Wicked of Oz or the Wizard of Oz or the musical Wicked is a stunning spectacle of light and brightness. So, spoiler alert, the man who is the Wizard of Oz actually does not have supernatural powers. But what if, what if there were a good, kind leader of a kingdom who actually is more powerful and more transforming and more glorious than a mere so-called human wizard? In today's passage, we see Jesus, the real king of the kingdom, demonstrating, unveiling, revealing his awesomeness and heavenly self in an almost pyrotechnic explosion of light and glory. We get to see the Shekinah of God. Shekinah, the biblical term for when the presence of God descends and falls upon the people normally with tremendous light, brighter than an emerald city. Last week, I had mentioned in my sermon that it is not enough just to believe that Jesus existed. We need to experience him. Otherwise, it's just head knowledge. And Jesus knew that. Today's passage emphasizes that point. It's an incredible story, as again, this is one of the few passages that that the first three Gospels report on, um, that they all report on. So imagine this. Jesus and his small group Peter, James, and John, his innermost circle, go up to a mountain top, and then it happens. Like the beginning of a Star Trek movie, the passage goes boom and takes off with an explosive narrative. Jesus and his three disciples are on top of the mountain when suddenly Jesus starts to turn bright white. 
And the disciples are thinking, oh man, he's going to beam up now and leave us. No, he's not. But no, he stays there on the ground and gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And then suddenly he's transformed into this brilliant, dazzling, luminous, radiant, and beautiful supernatural state. In Star Wars, at the end of The Return of the Jedi, Anakin and Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi appear like this on the screen. However, Jesus' transfiguration is far better and definitely not fictitious. There begins to appear supernaturally Moses there on the left and Elijah the right joining the very bright and shining Jesus as depicted in the 16th century painting by Titian, the Venetian. Truly. The gospel says that Peter, who was probably frightened and didn't know what to say, says, why don't we build something to honor the three of them? How about a booth or a shelter? Now, last week, Peter, uh, lear- we learned that Peter like, would often put his foot in his mouth by rebuking Jesus for saying something that Peter thought was wrong. So Jesus rebuked him back for his audacity. Now, Peter is a bit smarter. He stalls for a bit, he doesn't know what to say, but then he comes up with this plan of, why don't we build three shelters or tabernacles for the three of you guys? Jesus gets whiter and brighter and brighter and whiter as the Gospels tries to explain it, and I quote from the scripture, whiter than any bleach you have ever seen. So what does this all mean? It seems like an incredulous episode, but it's not finished. So important, full of meaning. First of all, the prophet Elijah was known for having supernatural powers through the Holy Spirit. He could pray and a widow's son could come back from the dead. He could call down rain or he could call down fire from heaven or he could pray and the river Jordan would part. Moses, as you recall, could throw a staff down which turned into a snake. He could hold up his staff up and the Red Sea would part and then bring the sea back again to save them from an enemy army. He could bring a million people out of Egypt into the safer land of the promised land and God also used him to bring manna down from the sky to feed the Jewish people as well as inflict 10 plagues on the Egyptians. Moses, Elijah, clearly are like the big guns of the faith. Moses brought the law, the Ten Commandments. Elijah uh, was full of the Holy Spirit. So we have the Word and the Spirit. And God used them mightily, miraculously, supernaturally. Hence, this transfiguration of Jesus had one main message to Peter, James, and John. And it was, if you thought Moses and Elijah were great, hey, Jesus is far greater, and he is the epitome of the word and spirit. But like the commercial says, but wait, there's more. Suddenly, a voice comes out from the sky, bigger than a Bose speaker, more jubilant than a JBL. And the Bible says, a cloud appeared, covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. It says that Peter, James, and John were frightened. Who wouldn't be? All of this glory, all of this Shekinah of the presence of God falling down on the mountaintop and then a big voice of God the Father himself like James Earl Jones. This crescendo of the glory, the Shekinah, and then suddenly, poof, Elijah and Moses are gone. 
And all that's left is Jesus. Imagine the disciples' hearts are pounding and racing, and then perhaps in an anticlimactic way, Jesus says to them, oh, by the way, uh, don't tell anyone what you just saw. And they might have wanted to go, what? Maybe they would almost have sworn by saying, Jesus Christ, that was amazing. And Jesus says, I am Jesus Christ, and I am amazing. So like, what? Are you kidding Jesus, man, we want to tell everybody. We saw the light. We saw Elijah. We saw Moses. We heard God, the Heavenly Father, speak up. What do you mean, don't tell anyone? And then Jesus, in essence, says, until my resurrection, no one's going to believe you. But when I'm resurrected, then use what you saw today as proof. Write it up. Tell as many people as you want. And they may have said, well, okay, I guess. So what is this all about, this seemingly crazy episode in the Bible? First of all, like last week uh, when I was preaching, um, this is another episode that says Jesus of Nazareth is not an ordinary man. He's the main man. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. Come to terms with this. Uh, Like he asked last week in our passage, who do you say I am? And he's saying, I'm the Lord of the universe who chose to come down to earth to save you and lead you. Peter made a blunder, in my opinion. He wanted to build three booths or little tabernacles out of tree branches that the Jewish people would traditionally use to worship God. Uh, The book of Leviticus, I almost said the book of lettuce. (coughs) The book of Leviticus talks about the feast of the booths or the feast of the tabernacles where the Jewish people would build temporary shelters or thatched roofs of Um, palm fronds and other plants to thank God for the preceding year's provision of agricultural goods and also for a good rainy season. But the point of this story is that we should not worship any other people other than Jesus. Peter says, why don't we worship Moses? Why don't we worship Elijah? And you too, Jesus. And, and, And some people today like to worship Jesus but still build booths and altars to other people or things in life and think we can worship them and Jesus, both am. So I would dare say we can't, in our hearts, make worship altars to Hawaiian gods or Buddha or Confucius or whatever, as well as Jesus. No, it should only be Jesus. Singer Katy Perry has 107 million Twitter followers. Justin Bieber has 104 million. That's kind of more than double of our president. Um, It's staggering in how much fans idolize them. And they want to know what they're doing and what are they thinking today and what are they eating or drinking. We can't worship celebrities or throw in sex or money or power or popularity, and also Jesus. We can't worship video games, which take a lot more of the time of many uh, people than Bible reading and prayer. I've said before, your check register would really tell me how you're worshiping, or I could say your history on the internet, if I were to look at it, what you're really looking at. Now, let me put it, let me put one on me, all right? I'm not going to beat up on you. Let me put one on me. Um, I love watching UH football and USC football and 49er football. But I noticed something about myself. 
When my team loses, I can actually feel down for hours. I can kind of feel depressed. And I thought, what the heck is going on? I mean, I went to UH and I went to USC and I lived in San Francisco, but watching football is really just entertainment. So why should my emotions or happiness go up and down depending how the football game is going? I mean, it's silly. What is the real foundation of our lives that should sustain us in what really counts? Like the religion of football? And you're thinking, ah, oh, it's not a religion. Ah, oh, for many, football is a religion, complete with its own liturgical calendar. So instead of Advent and, and Christmas and Lent and Easter and Pentecost, we have preseason, regular season, playoffs, the crucifixion of sudden death playoffs, and then the High Holy Day Super Bowl. And then months later, draft day, the calling of the new disciples. Games are complete with the bells and smells of worship and hot dogs and nachos and acolyte priestesses called cheerleaders waving not incense but pom-poms while people in the stand eat ice cream bonbons. And one of the first things I do when I go home on Sunday is to watch condensed versions of my favorite NFL games that have been, have been distracted of all of the, all the commercials and the huddles and the penalties and the halftime shows. I bought a service that allows me to watch a condensed NFL game in 45 minutes. Boom, boom, boom. Talk about time management. Actually, I am so exhausted on Sundays after I preach that I fall asleep watching a three-hour game after church. So the condensed version is perfect for me. But I need to be careful during football season because the games can really take a, up a lot of my time. And then after the football season ends, there's basketball, <laughs> NCAA, Sweet 16 games, Golden State Warriors, playoffs, finals, and pretty soon, it'll be football season again with the NFL draft day, with the roll is called up yonder and the Saints come marching in. Maybe football's um, not the big thing for you. But the point is, what should really be the center of our lives? It should be Jesus. Be careful if something else is crowding in on him or crowding him out and it's taken up our time and our talent and treasure. Jesus asked in the last chapter that I preached on last week, who do you say I am? He is the Messiah, fully God, fully human, the only major religion that says that. And then we must move forward from head knowledge to heart knowledge. The transfiguration story is a story of experiencing God we can experience him in worship or in a conversation or in prayer or in a walk in nature, but we need to experience him. Experiencing him is critical to our faith. The transfiguration is experiencing Jesus in one of the highest forms. Jesus shows Peter, James, and John all of his glory, but experiencing Jesus doesn't have to happen in such glorious and majestic ways. He can make his presence known in a whisper, in the quiet, or in a storm. 
As I think of the times I've felt God in a supernatural way, they've actually been quite varied. It has happened in a beautiful setting in nature when I just want to fall on my knees and say, thank you, God, you've created what you've created so beautiful. I stand amazed in, in your presence near the ocean, near lakes, at sunset, on a mountain, or in a forest. Once I felt the Holy Spirit uh, greatly while sitting by myself in a Catholic cathedral. Uh, once it was in a worship service with many others, but I felt like just one person before God. Once it was when I was kind of really hurting and a stranger came up to me and knelt down and put a hand on me and started praying. I felt God's tender presence there. And some, as you have, may have found, you can experience his kindness and presence in a hospital room, in a divorce court, or on a school campus. It doesn't have to be as explosive as the transfiguration. For Moses, when he was in the cleft of a rock, when God came to him, Moses' face glowed with light. For Elijah, the prophet, God to him quietly, as recorded in a Bible called First Kings. Um, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God came to Elijah in a whisper. When I became a Christian, there was no um, earthquake or anything. It actually came, as I just said, a very simple prayer. If you are who you say you are, then come into my life. Not the best prayer of faith, but it worked. I didn't feel any explosion or a transfiguration experience, but I did feel a strong sense of his peace, and that peace has grown and grown and grown greatly even to today. As we get to know Jesus more and more, we experience him, and experience is important. It can, go, um, is, it can go from a mountaintop experience to a deep valley, and we should know that, that even after we have amazing experiences with Jesus, I want to be honest and say we can ha still have doubts and crash and depressed, including Moses and Elijah. Moses got to, the, got to see the Red Sea parted, right? He, he, he saw water come from a rock. He saw God in a burning bush. But he still went through such tough times after all those amazing occasions with God and sometimes wonder, God, are you there? After he experienced God in Mount Sinai where God gave him the, the Ten Commandments, he came down the mountain and saw how his people had built a golden calf to worship total rebellion and betrayal to him and the Lord. And Moses had a high moment and then bam, a real low moment. He's got to have felt depressed then. Even his brother and sisters were against him, Aaron and Miriam. If you look through all of the story in Exodus, also see that not once after all these miracles, not once did the people thank Moses or praise him for all that he did as their leader. Not once they always whined and asked, what more could you do for us? And it wasn't until Moses died that the people praised him and wrote a song called The Song of Moses. Great. 
Elijah saw many, saw God perform many miracles, incredible miracles, but he still went through a great depression. And the passage I just read was God responding. He's coming in the whisper. Even John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, who knew Jesus firsthand as opposed to Moses and Elijah, who did not, even he went through a depression. So if you're going through a tough time, I'm listing these things to let you know even the spiritual leaders went through. John the Baptist had to send friends to Jesus to ask him, are you he who is to come or are we supposed to look for another? And he asked that when he was in prison in the fortress of Machairus, wondering, was Jesus really the Messiah or have I just spent my whole life telling people that he was the Lamb of God but not really the Messiah that God promised? I guess I'm saying that we, when we experience a mountaintop high, even with God, we could go crashing down later. I shared with you once that, um, that I once was depressed and it was after a great high. It was right after our, our congregational vote to leave uh, our former denomination. It was the right decision. It was a decision of courage for all of you people. Almost a unanimous decision of nearly 900 votes. I think 16 voted no. Clearly our future. We would own our own land. Uh, we would have freedom, uh, uh, more to plan. And I was, but I was so exhausted after all the work and planning, working with the former denomination, <clears throat> having all the prayer leading up to the vote, that for two months afterwards, I felt depressed. I felt really out of it. A great high... And then a great low, just like Moses, Elijah, and John the Baptist. So if the high and mighty like Moses, Elijah, and John the Baptist can go through depression, surely we, who are pretty common folk, who are not spiritual giants, can go through that as well. That's why we had the recent mental health conference. Studies show that 48% of people will go through a mental health illness or challenge in their lives. Um, it's normal. And I just wanted you to know that all of the general sessions of Kay Warren and Dr. Dan Moorhead, who's a psychiatrist who lays down a beautiful foundation about mental illness, um, those videos will be on our website tomorrow, and they're on the HIMM website now. So even after so many victories and miracles, Jesus, as he hung on the cross, about to die, even our Lord said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That must have been hard, feeling that his heavenly father was gone, and hence, even our Lord felt depression. And that's why I love Jesus. He's worth following. He really understands the pain and feeling of abandonment all of us have experienced. Great Lord to have and follow. So what keeps our mind on Jesus? What keeps us near him that we might experience him? One phrase, worship and the word. When we pray and sing our praises to him, we have a chance to feel him again. And yes, in our minds, we can understand through preaching, but in worship, the act of humbly putting ourselves before God, we have a chance of experiencing him again. Even if we walk in here with doubts and hurts, we know there's a God who suffered and also had doubts. He gets us. As Tim Keller once wrote, it's one thing to know God loves you. It's one thing to know the glorious creator God of the universe loves you, cares for you, and holds you. It's another thing to sense it. If you know it and you don't sense it, then the other things in your life will be the things you look to functionally and really for your glory. 
But if Jesus really is someone you've sometimes seen, sometimes felt, sometimes through worship really experienced his ultimate reality, then and only then do these other things become things you can just enjoy and not build your entire life on. It's worship that we're really trying to be in the presence of God. Worship is not performance or production. It's praying and singing and desiring to be in his presence. That's what the transfiguration story is about. Then there is the word, the Bible. It has the wisdom and secrets of life. And when we know the Bible, we'll have the mind of God. The word history, the history of the world, is really about his story, God's story. And if we would just read the entire Bible by ourselves or in a just show up group, we can finally understand the big picture of how God thinks and his advice to us on how to flourish in life. He created us, so read the creator's manual. Just like if you drive a car, read the owner's manual. Or as Bruce Patterson reminds me, the word Bible is an acronym for basic instructions before leaving earth. Many of you are going through a hard time. Maybe you've lost a loved one or you're having medical issues or financial issues or relationship issues and you're at a crossroads where you can turn from God and become bitter or you can become better because you know that at the end of the road that leads to Jesus, you will find one who really understands you and says, welcome friend. He is the one like the whiz, where we want to ease on down the road to, for his heavenly city will be the true city that will give us courage and wisdom and compassion and in whom we can truly find our true home. And we don't even need, like Dorothy, to click our heels three times. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, it's reading in the, in the word and hearing these stories of your life that knowing in worship we know what incredible, beautiful name you have. And in your name we have hope and we have a future. And so, Lord, as we sing this song, may we truly do it out of our hearts that we might experience you again and declare that in your name we can have hope restored. In Christ's name, amen. And knowing that in the name of Jesus we do have hope restored, some of you may want to pray with someone right now, and our prayer team would love to pray with you, and they'll be in front of the cross and in front of the choir risers. So whatever that is at the end of the service, feel free to come up, and they would love to lift up Um, your issue before the Lord. But for all of you, I have a blessing, so please stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And wherever you go, may you worship him greatly and honor him and glorify him. In Christ's name, amen. Once again, it's all about Jesus. Today is a good reminder to examine our lives and make sure we're giving our highest priority to Jesus Christ. 
If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download that brand new First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. And if you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2018 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.